Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to our new PR Week podcast episode with Arvind Hickman. Welcome to the PR Show. Thanks very much for joining us. I'm Ian Griggs and I'm standing in for Arvind this week. Today, we're going to discuss what is in store for the PR and communications industry for the year ahead. As we come to the end of January, the tragic milestone of 100,000 deaths in the UK due to COVID-19 has been reached. The country is in the midst of its third national lockdown and children are still unable to return to school, which presents major challenges for working parents in the industry. But there are tentative signs of recovery on the horizon too, green shoots if you will. The continuing rollout of COVID vaccines lends hope of a light at the end of the tunnel. And some agency bosses have told our editor-in-chief, Danny Rogers, that they now predict a recovery of their businesses from the second half of the year onwards. Here to give us their own predictions for the shape of things to come in 2021, our panel for this episode is Hearst Director of PR and Communications, Effie Kanua, Cicero AMO Executive Chair, Ian Anderson, Hope and Glory co-founder and chief creative officer, James Gordon McIntosh, Finsbury Glover Herring, UK, Middle East and Asia chief executive, Faith Birch, and Pretty Green accounts director, Shiraz Gulsher. Thank you all for joining us. I'd like to start by asking our panelists what they believe is the biggest challenge on the horizon for them this year, for them, their businesses, and for the industry as a whole. I would like to start by asking our in-house panellist, Effie, for her thoughts. Thanks. Um, I mean, so for anyone that doesn't know, Hearst UK is a premium content and experiences business. And we have a host of um, brands such as Elle, Good Housekeeping, Cosmopolitan, Men's Health, Women's Health, etc. Um, I think our biggest challenge last year as a business and working in-house um, as a comms team was that we were very much in uncharted territory. 
um, and dealing with issues that we hadn't really come across. I think for this year, we did really well last year. We managed to produce um, our, our magazines and our content very well um, during lockdown and um, our productivity hasn't suffered at all. I think for us as a business, our biggest challenge is really around keeping staff motivated. As you mentioned, the news is pretty bad. Um, there's no clear sort of end in sight. I think everyone can say across, across the whole industry, they're seeing fatigue, they're seeing um, staff suffering from mental health issues. There are parents who are facing challenges with homeschooling. What does that mean for a business? How do you support your parents um, whilst also sort of keeping your business ticking along? We've also got issues with people who have been isolated for a long period of time. So I think it's really around people for us as a business and um, just really making sure that we're doing everything um, as a business to keep them supported during a period that we have no idea of, of when it might potentially um, end. And then I guess the other side of that as a business is making sure we obviously have an audience that very much relies on our trusted brands. So making sure that we're supporting them through the content um, that we produce. And I think for the industry, it, it's, it's pretty much the same. I mean, last year was a really tough year for comms professionals and how do you keep up that motivation and that spirit when it's pretty much been um, relentless so I think that will be one of the key factors to play out in the industry. Thanks Effie I was interested in what you were saying about the audience there do you feel that there are that the audience is actually spending more time reading your content uh, last year and do you expect that to continue this year is there more are there more readers and is there more dwell time on your uh, on your websites, et cetera? So, so yeah, I mean, to be honest, across every single one of our brands, we saw um, phenomenal growth. Um, that wasn't only um, in terms of subscriptions that grew by up to 200 percent. Um, but also in areas around e-commerce, which grew by up to 400%. So people were spending a lot more time online, browsing, taking in content, um, buying things um, online. Um, and so we've had to put a sort of huge focus into making sure that we, we, we service and we provide content that keeps our audiences engaged. But I think, you know, for us, our biggest surprise was, uh, for us as a business, travel retail, which is probably our, our sort of most important outlet, was obviously completely sort of closed, airports, train stations, et cetera. So to see that growth in, in subscriptions, I think is really heartening. And I think it leans to a point around positivity because the thing that we sort of position ourselves um, as as a beacon of positivity, and it's been sort of quite dark times. And I think people are sort of reaching towards positive news almost as an antidote to the negative news that's out there. 
it's perhaps a little bit of escapism there as they think of those holidays that they could have in the in the months to come. Uh, Shiraz, uh, you were awarded uh, PR Week's 2020 Young PR Professional of the Year uh, last year. How do you see this year evolving for your career? It's it's an interesting time at the moment. I think uh, last year I spent a lot of time and effort uh, working on people like us with my brother Doreen. And for those that aren't familiar, it's essentially a group to celebrate um, Black, Asian, mixed race and minority ethnic Marcoms professionals in the industry. And it was an interesting year. Last year, we, we commissioned some research that looked at um, how the industry was faring during COVID. And unfortunately, we found that people from these backgrounds were being hit hardest. Um, they were more likely to be furloughed, lose their roles. Um, and uh, and it was really quite disheartening to see at the time, um, especially with Black Lives Matter. It's just like such a culture-defining moment. So, so off, the, off the back of that, so we, we have our next event uh, coming up towards the end of Feb. And we have commissioned sort of further research to see whether Black Lives Matter was a flash in the pan um, or are people sort of making long-term commitments to changing diversity in the industry. And uh, we'll be revealing our results next week, but it's heartening to see that so many PRs particularly feel that their companies are making uh, important steps um, to making their workplace more inclusive and making uh, other members of staff feel valued. Um, but yeah, through our network, we, we've spoken to countless people and, uh, and sort of, yeah, time and time again, um, I've sort of seen all kinds of stories. Some people are still actively looking for work. Um, so yeah, we, we are hoping to place as many of them as possible. Do you share the concerns of other younger PR professionals in the industry who say that the pandemic last year has stymied their careers in terms of their progression and their ability to have that all important conversation with their line manager about where, where next in their career. And do you think some of them may leave the industry altogether this year as a result? It's certainly conversations my brother have had with people that have approached the group. Uh, many people just feel disheartened. Um, and lots of people feel like they aren't equipped to have certain conversations with their line managers uh, to talk about how to talk about um, um, increasing salaries or promotions. And so many people time and time again feel like they have to put twice as much effort as everybody else in the room. And perhaps they aren't being recognized for it. And I think we can sort of see across the industry, top agencies and boardrooms with like huge brands, like who the faces are in each of the rooms. And it's quite hard. I think people of my sort of age or younger to look around and seeing, oh, actually, there aren't many people that look like me, that, that have big roles. And and it's quite hard for them to do that. And I, and I think with our network, I think we've had, it, it's all free. Um, and we've had sort of support from across the industry and marketing uh, and even journalists, just to show people, actually, there are some great people out there and they're doing incredible stuff and you can too. Um, so we hope that, us banding together and showing the next generation that there are people out there that are doing an excellent job that change can be made yes role models are all important uh, aren't they um i wonder if i can move on to ian uh, ian you have a long view of the public affairs and, and political landscape your agency uh, cicero celebrates its 20th anniversary this week i believe what is your assessment ian um of the evolving political landscape regarding COVID-19, the handling of COVID-19 by the government, the reality of Brexit as some of that kit starts to kick in. How will these things and other 
political aspects affect the work of public affairs professionals this year? So, I mean, this is all just an immense, uh, Ian, um, in every way. And, and actually, you know, the fact we just passed this here in the UK, at least, tragic milestone of, of 100,000 deaths. It's, as we're talking today, it is a moment to sit back and, and reflect. And, you know, that's a good thing because we've all just been managing through this how we can. And we're all still reinventing and techniques are reinventing. And, you know, the kind of watchword I've had with... Uh, folks in our business in the past 12 months, and literally, and this is, we can remind ourselves, this has been going on for almost a year now, is, look, we're all going um, to make mistakes. I mean, I think the, the most important principle for me, and we've, we've, we've gone into the market, actually, to find out what clients think um, and what policymakers think, and a report will be coming out um, publishing quite soon as you know alongside our 20th anniversary as a business we've called it resetting strategy and you know crisis it slow things down at first don't they but then they accelerate change and yeah, just listening to Shiraz there about you know the difficulties of being a, a younger person of being a, um, a, a person uh, from a, a, a minority in this industry uh, right now, it, it does feel very, very difficult. But, and I think there's, you know, where's the hope? And we, we all need hope. Um, there are some positive things in that organisations are locking in um, change that would have taken years to try uh, and achieve. I mean, uh, alongside the past year, we've also taken our business into Havas. And they're giving us now some really, really punchy measures in terms of um, leading on um, ESG and environmental issues, trying to lead in terms of diversity issues, something I care, care about a, a lot. And, and, and that's actually because, of course, client, you know, client demand is kind of coming through political demand is coming through people are kicking the tires really hard on whether or not your words match your output and so um you know right, right now i think the most difficult thing is a bit like effie's kind of commented a little bit earlier it is what i would call resilience there's a tweet i saw um just before the end of last year which which I think rather summed up 2020, which was kind of March, how are we going to do this? July, I'm quite enjoying this, as the weather got a bit better. And then by the end of the year, by December, I'm really, really hating this. Of course, it's more of the same as we move into this year. We're all rather square-eyed, um, constantly on Zoom, constantly um, staring at a screen all day. Our audiences are doing that. Political audiences are doing that. But they're asking much harder questions of us and of clients. So I think the good in this is that those that, um, those that are trying to spin their way through this uh, are, are, being, are being caught out, whether or not it's corporates or politicians, 
the who you know stuff, I think, really is dead because, frankly, we can't all continue to trade on just social capital because we've not been in front of each other and we've not actually been in front of brand new people to meet. So um, this is a revolution. It's a revolution with a, a rather horrific backdrop, but it's, it's creating huge change in terms of technique. Thanks, Ian. Do you, I mean, a key plank of public affairs is the ability to influence legislators, you know, serving politicians and indeed ministers. How easy or how much harder are you finding it to do that? Not just with the restrictions um, uh, inherent uh, in the in the pandemic, but actually the bandwidth that um, that decision makers have left over to have meetings with public affairs professionals. So look, in, in one way, um, this kind of COVID effect, this revolution in the way in which we, we work and therefore our techniques, um, the, the fact that I can sit at my kitchen table and I or a client can talk to a UK minister at nine o'clock in the morning, a European politician at 10 o'clock in the morning, and an American politician, um, you know, in the afternoon. Um, uh, you know, I mean, in a way, it's made life incredibly efficient. It's made actually the audience think, well, you know, I'll take that 15 minute call in a way that they might have resisted wanting to get together for an hour it might have made the you know the ceo or the chair at the client end think well you know can i be in brussels and um london uh, and do everything in a single day so in many ways it's actually created even more engagement and actually because policymakers are everywhere are searching for the holy grail to try and get us out of this situation they wanted even more engagement. But there is a but, and, and the but is this, and, that, and that's my point around social capital, that it's kind of easier to do that with people that you've been in front of before. There is trust that has been established. Um, there is a, a, a sense of why both parties are at the table. Clearly, it's much harder to, to create new conversations in a virtual way, but... The last quarter of last year, and certainly into this, I think that uh, uh, that, that audiences, political audiences, I think uh, across the piece, uh, wider audiences too, uh, are, are actually now very, very comfortable and used to this format. So I think it's getting easier to talk about the new and meet the new. So no more long lunches, and it's just straight down to business now, I take it. <laughs> it um, certainly is. <laughs> James, perhaps you could give us um, a perspective on the consumer and brand landscape. It's fair to say that consumer and brand communication specialists have had a tough year in 2020. Do you expect to see a recovery for this sector of uh, agency land in 2021 with all the pent-up consumer demand there is out there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, Ian, that we've started to see you know the, the the corner turned um, certainly at the at the back end of of last year. I think that the um, you know the 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 release um, of of the summer um, certainly brought uh, I think a, a renewed sense of of optimism. Um, the fact that things were shut down pretty quickly afterwards um, 
uh, at the time, obviously a disappointment, but actually I think for a lot of businesses, there was the promise of Christmas uh, and a reopening. So I think we've seen quite a lot of the recovery uh, already start to happen. And we've certainly started seeing brands, you know, willing to spend again um, and starting to look uh, up and towards the future. I think that a lot of businesses have embraced the idea that in tough times, it tends to be the brands that continue to spend that come out strongest. And I think that um, there are a lot of uh, certainly brands that we work for that have adopted that strategy and that approach. I was reading some quotes from uh, Unilever and some of their marketing, senior marketing folk, um, who very much said that their business was was taking that philosophy. Um, so I think we've started to see a, a, you know, a lot of that recovery um, come through. Um, I think the big question is, you know, will the momentum that was perhaps built up um, in the run up to Christmas uh, continue into this year? Uh, will we see a, a, you know, a healthy first quarter? Um, but then I think the other piece will be, you know, what will be the impact of what is a worsening economic situation uh, be on the businesses that we work for, uh, particularly those that that rely on on consumer spend? Um, and I think that that's, you know, to be honest with you, the great unknown. You know, I think that um, anyone that says that they have got a clear picture, you know, of what the next uh, 12 months or so uh, looks like is, um, you know, is, is, is either a miracle worker or they're lying. I think that, uh, you know, for a lot of businesses, there is, you know, it's, I, I sort of liken it to driving on a, on a road in the fog without lights. You know, you're, you're, you know, you're pootling along pretty comfortably, but you're dimly aware that there is a pretty sharp bend coming. Um, you don't know quite where it is, and it tends to hit you very much at the last minute. And I think that it's, you know, it's the businesses that, um, you know, have been able to react most quickly that have succeeded. Um, we've been in a fairly fortunate position of being, you know, still a, a nimble um, consumer brand agency that has managed to help clients navigate that. Um, but I, I certainly think that, you know, there is a great deal of uncertainty um, ahead. But, you know, my, um, I think my overall sense is that there is, you know, a renewed sense of positivity. You know, you talked in your introduction about the impact, I think, that the, uh, that the vaccine and its rollout has had. Uh, you know, less on, you know, particular uh, particular individuals, perhaps less on business as a whole, uh, certainly outside of pharmaceuticals. But I think actually from a from an almost, you know, a national psyche perspective, I think we're starting to look up and, and start to look forward to to hopefully brighter times. And and actually that psychology, I think, has a has a massive impact on on the world that we work in. I have to agree. So a te tempered enthusiasm uh, from you uh, there, James, and I have to agree that hope counts for quite a lot um, in terms of our, our, our collective outlook. Faith, your newly minted agency has just gone through a major merger and restructuring. How do you see the agency world, the wider agency world, and your agency in particular progressing over the coming year? Oh, thanks, Ian. We, we at Finsbury Glover Herring, um, we are three brands that have been established for a very long time um, coming together. So while it's not been ideal doing it um, during lockdown, it hasn't actually been you know, as difficult as you would expect because we've already got you know, three established sets of business flows. Um, so it hasn't, um, it hasn't been as challenging as perhaps you might think. And also, you know, we're, it's a friendship-based merger. We all know each other incredibly well. Um, so it, you know, it has gone down um, extremely well. 
um, in, internally. So that's been good. And obviously, the challenge um, for us is making sure that we manage to retain our sort of local characteristics and local skills, um, as well as you know making sure we take full advantage of you know each other's areas um, of expertise. I think one of the things that's been really um, interesting this year is that from a boardroom communication perspective, you know, communication really has gone mainstream. You know, we were lucky. We had lots of enlightened clients, as I'm sure everybody did on this um, on this podcast, who, you know, really took communication seriously, saw it as a, a key business driver, a revenue generator in some cases, and also a way of shaping the business environment. And I think what's very clear um, from 2020 is that communications has gone mainstream um, with, with everybody. It's often in the, the first or second or third consideration um, when a chief executive is considering an issue, and whereas perhaps it was, it was lower down the agenda. So I think, you know, from a positive um, perspective, our industry um, has become more important um, to the clients we're working for. And I think as an industry, we're stepping up as well. We're seeing, you know, less silos um, in our industry you know you can't have a conversation with a business that doesn't involve you know, communication with their employees or communication with with politicians the the silos have completely broken down uh, which makes the work more interesting as well for us um, but I think it it, it it bodes well and I'm sort of optimistic about the outlook um, for 2021 for the industry as a whole. And, and obviously I would say this, but, but for Finsbury Glover Herring, because I think we play into um, a lot of the trends um, that are going forward. Well, more optimism and I'm, and I'm pleased to hear that. And I'm sure others will be as well. I, I want to talk, uh, turn to what will be and what I believe is one of the major comms challenges um, of 2021 and, and that's the vaccine and the the rolling out of the vaccine now vaccine hesitancy or indeed outright refusal on the part of individual members of the public to take uh, the vaccine when they're called could derail efforts to achieve herd immunity uh, for the uk population what's your opinion uh, panel uh, panelists Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST of the scale of the comms challenge around combating misinformation and convincing the public to turn up when they're called. Faith, do you want to take this one first? I mean, it is an incredible um, challenge, isn't it? I mean, I was, I was very pleased to hear on Radio 4 the other day that there are groups of people, you know, making sure that 
Uh, this is um, high on the priority list for, for government. And what we need is to continue to have lots of very well-respected spokespeople, lots of popular spokespeople um, out making the case. You know, lots of people that um, represent different stratas of society, people that represent you know, the, the BAME community as well. So um, it is a huge challenge. Um, and I really think that we need to step up um, our industry um, as well as um, the, the government. Thanks, Faith. Shiraz, what's what's your view um, here in terms of the the need to get messaging through, particularly to BME communities where there is a lot of misinformation going around um, uh, about vaccines? How should the message be tailored? Should the message be tailored for BME communities in particular, in your opinion? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I suppose, trust in those communities and the government um, has been quite low. I think initially when the outbreak happened, um, there were several reports of doctors on the front line from these backgrounds more likely to die. Um, it was just really tough to tough to take. And also um, times like uh, Eid um, being sort of cancelled at the 11th hour. Um, but it's interesting. I, I think uh, misinformation, especially in the South Asian communities, is so rife. Um, I've seen, even in my own experiences, um, aunties, um, mums, uncles um, who forward fake news on WhatsApp. Um, what is really, really good to see that's face sort of covered um, is sort of important spokespeople speaking up to these communities. I saw Connie Huck, uh, Moin Ali, England cricket player. Um, essentially saying to the community is that this vaccine is safe. Um, there are no, it's completely halal. So there seems to be a some sort of rumor that there are like pork or animal products in the vaccine. Um, so it's important that we keep sort of stepping up these efforts. I see, I've seen some great um, influencers on TikTok and Twitter. Um, there was a, a Pakistani doctor who actually talked to, um, talked to screen and alongside him was his mother. Um, so she translated the message to Urdu. Um, so, so a lot of like uh, folks who, who aren't, who can't speak English. So I think it's incredibly important to tailor the message um, to, to all the communities. There'll be uh, Pakistani women and Bengali uh, women who perhaps won't understand the implications of not taking the vaccine. So I think it's important um, we, we tailor the message to all the different communities. That's interesting, Shiraz, that you said that even some members of your um, own wider family um, had been, you know, caught out, as as you say, and to a certain extent, sending, uh, you know, forwarding misinformation. Did you, I'm curious to know, did you directly challenge that yourself? Or is that something which you wouldn't feel you're able to do for the potential to uh, damage that relationship with a relative? Oh, completely. I think, um, I mean, myself personally, I will, I will challenge misinformation, especially something so sensitive and important as this. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's an age-old issue, unfortunately, um, especially with um, people from those communities that aren't that au fait with technology. They'll receive WhatsApp messages, and you'll see um, how many times they forward them to like random people, and it just goes on and on. It's a quite a horrible chain that just isn't helpful for anyone. It's kind of mixed in with um, pseudo sort of religious messages saying this is not permissible and often it's it's incorrect. But uh, it's important to see so many community leaders are stepping up and saying, 
oh, actually, this is incorrect. And this is something we need to do uh, for your own welfare. And there is no harm and there's no sin in doing things like this. But absolutely, I will challenge things like that. And I implore everyone else in our communities to do the same. I think, yeah, it's just perhaps down to confusion or lack of education or, um, yeah, just, just not enough knowledge about the, um, the virus and how to go about it. Mm, I agree. I, I think it is very important to, to, to challenge on a personal level. Uh, as well. Effie, what do you see as the role of publishing companies and indeed individual media outlets in the take-up of the vaccine? Do you have a, does the media have a positive role to play here and should we play it? Um, I mean, I think politicians and the media very much have a role, but I think as we've all seen that there's been an element of mistrust around some of the comms that has come out from um, people in positions of power and in government. But there's also been um, mistrust within certain areas of the, of the media. I mean, I spoke before about the, the one thing that I guess um, stands our brands at Hearst UK apart is the fact that we are sort of seen to be trusted brands and I think that's that's really important and I think um, some of the biggest lessons that have been learned last year um, not only for media brands but just brands across um, the whole sphere is that it's it's very easy to lose the trust of your audiences but I think um, the second part, and, and one thing that we've noticed in light of everything that happened last year, is that you just really need to be able to identify the right tone in terms of communicating to your audiences. Um, the way that we would communicate um, a message around the vaccine and the virus would be very different for a cosmopolitan audience who are, you know, highly engaged, politically aware, um, etc. Uh, maybe more challenging in terms of their views to how um, we would cover the same story in an issue of something like Harper's Bazaar or Good Housekeeping. So I think it's it's really important to find. Um, the right tone. I think um, there's definitely um, more of a call for for uh, people to be more transparent. Um, we've seen that play out in terms of, I guess, our own business in terms of internal comms. But I think there's definitely a lot more scepticism out there. I think there's a responsibility across the board, so government, media, etc., um, just to be a lot more transparent, but also to find more effective ways in how they communicate. Yeah, I, I have to, I have to agree. Actually, we've we've all got a, a part to play here. Um, Ian, the government has been has has not exactly covered itself in glory uh, last year in terms of its messaging around the pandemic. Um, it's been accused of being confused, um, uh, you know, impossible to follow the the advice. 
what role has government um, got to play here in terms of the rollout of the vaccine? Clearly, it's it got an important leadership role. But do you think public sector health professionals should be given the lead in terms of vaccine comms? Or do you think uh, the government should take uh, the, the lead in this? Who, sh who should be the lead? Government's absolutely centrifugal. Uh, in. I mean, it's coordinating this, it's delivering this, uh, it's responsible for this. And look, as you say, um, you know, l last year in terms of a comms strategy, it was quite hard at times to work out quite what the comms strategy was. Now, look, um, you know, none of us have ever done a global pandemic before. Uh, maybe um, you know, there are questions, certainly when we get to the public inquiry, given the fact that a global pandemic was number one on the risk register of potential risks for uh, the UK and, and, and many other countries, uh, why there wasn't a uh, comms uh, playbook uh, on this. There clearly wasn't. Um, and you know, when we moved out of lockdown one into a myriad of messages over uh, the summer um, of last year, it got all very confusing. It didn't just get confusing, I think, for um, uh, people who occasionally dip into this. It got confusing for all of us and, and those those of us that, that, that work in comms. So look, the, 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 the real essentials remain the same. Clear, simple, sustained messaging um, I mean, others have talked about who's best to deliver that message. I mean, certainly there's a lot of evidence that when um, you've got a really competent minister um, delivering a message, and to be fair to Nazim, Nadim Zahawi, the vaccines minister, um, he, you know, he does poll as being pretty confident and competent in terms of the rollout and the international numbers uh, on at least the rollout of the vaccine um, in the UK are, are, um, are a positive thing to hold on to. But when Chris Whitty delivers messages um, in those sort of short form, look like um, party political broadcasts, public information messages, people are listening to that. The problem at the minute is all Chris Whitty is doing in those little messages is saying, stay at home, not really communicating about the vaccine. So. Chris Whitty, Jonathan Van Tam, huge amounts of public approval. He's straight shooting, answers the question. Um, you know, very effective in that regard. The message needs to pivot, in my mind, into one around getting our lives back, being able to spend time with our families again, being able to see our friends, being able to work together again you know the idea that the more of us that get the vaccine the more um, immunity there's going to be in the population and therefore we can get back to the things that we love uh, the government has talked about getting back to the things that we love but it's only done that in the context of staying inside they need to attach that message firmly um, alongside the vaccine I suppose I ask whether, thank you, I suppose I ask whether public health or government officials are best to lead because trust in the messenger is, um, is as important as the contents of the message. Do you agree? 
I, I look absolutely so, which is why I kind of blocked out, um, you know, the vaccines minister so dubbed Zahawi, and I picked out Chris Whitty and Jonathan Van Tam. That, I mean, there's a lot of evidence that the three of them are very well trusted. But but look, this is about an integrated strategy. If we were advising government right now, if I was advising government right now on this, I would be saying, you know, let, let's think about, um, you know, those in the community that have had the jab, those in the community that are um, uh, um, community leaders, those in society that are cultural leaders. You need a myriad of voices to fire up uh, on this question. A myriad of voices, I agree. James, <clears throat> amongst that myriad of voices, what role can corporates brands and others who are not necessarily concerned with public health specifically, what, what role can they play in the rollout and take up of the vaccine? Should they stay out of the conversation or should they find their voice and support public health efforts to encourage take up, do you think? I mean, I think that brands certainly have the opportunity to acknowledge and embrace their role, potentially their responsibility um, in you know, reaching and engaging um, uh, their, their audiences and, and consumers. You know, there are a good number of brands that certain, you know, very large in some cases niches of society uh, will, you know, listen to. Um, and I think we have seen a sequence of campaigns where brands have embraced their responsibility to tackle some of the big issues of society. Uh, you know, Nike was doing it. Uh, way back when, um, and, and if you like, pre uh, Black Lives Matter, um, I think to you know to huge effect um, amongst certain sections of the society, and I, I think there are brands that that have that kind of cultural significance. I think the flip side of it, though, is that we as communicators have a responsibility at the same time to make sure that they are not bandwagon jumping, uh, that brands have a genuine contribution to make. And that they are doing it, it's a ghastly and over, overused word, but are, are doing it authentically. Um, and likewise, that they are genuinely contributing something um, rather than, you know, simply trying to capitalize on yet another shift in the, in the media agenda in order to try and promote themselves and their products. Um, I think though that, you know, one of the things certainly that we've seen is on the one hand, a demand from the public that brands act more responsibly. Uh, and are more transparent about the way that they communicate what they're doing on issues from, you know, inclusivity and diversity uh, through to the environment. Um, and now, you know, potentially there is that opportunity to engage in the vaccine uh, and its rollout. You know, I mean, we've been involved in a, in a couple of campaigns with clients. Um, IKEA stores, for example, are being used as, as, as um, vaccine uh, hubs and centres. Um, Uber uh, has been running a campaign um, to offer free rides to those who might otherwise not be able to get to uh, vaccine centres. Um, and I think it's where there is that real, genuine and tangible contribution um, to the vaccine effort that a brand can make, rather than perhaps, uh, you know, making uh, rather empty uh, uh, proclamations um, in the hope that they might be able to capitalise on, on, on the scenario. Um, but yes, I mean, I, you know, I would dearly love to see brands that you know, play a central role in the cultures that we need to reach and engage, particularly perhaps those that, you know, are less likely to listen to uh, the healthcare professionals, um, to government, um, because I think brands in the same way as celebrities, influencers, 
um, have a role to play in, in reaching and engaging those audiences. So, so go and get involved. Um, you, you, you're saying to brands, but tread extremely carefully. And this is certainly not a moment for idle newsjacking, basically. I think that's absolutely right. And I, you know, I, I think the temptation is absolutely there. You know, I think that for a lot of brands, you know, candidly, it's it's been a tough year. Uh, you know, from a from a PR perspective, um, you know, the um, the space in the media available to uh, you know the stories that we want to put out has been has been shrinking over time. Uh, you know, that shrinkage, if you like, you know, tripled, doubled, quadrupled. I don't know quite what the the order of magnitude is. Um, simply by the fact that there has been an enormous amount of real news, absolutely rightly, um, on the agenda. What do brands do? You know, they kind of say, okay, well, either we go quiet um, or we become part of the national conversation in one form or another. And I think some of them have got it absolutely right and have really engaged in those conversations in, in, in a really meaningful way and have come out um, of those, um, uh, you know, uh, forays, you know, looking great, um, because they did the right thing, they did it in, a, in, a, in an often considered um, way. I, I also think there are some brands that have, you know, have really shot themselves in the foot by newsjacking some of the big national issues. Um, you know, so I think these things have to be done, you know, with a great care, a great deal of care um, and articulacy. And and I think that, you know, to the point that was made earlier, I think absolutely communications has to be part of that conversation every time it it arises. Um, and we really need to be, I think, for brands and businesses, you know, the window to the outside world. You know, I think so many businesses don't really see beyond the walls that they create around themselves, uh, now more virtual um, perhaps than physical. I think communications has always played a wonderful role in, in throwing open a window and, and sharing a prospect, the view, um, with, with those inside businesses so that actually they, they, they aren't too introverted they are looking to the outside world and, and they're very much taking on that exterior um, agenda really understanding it and, and and adjusting behavior accordingly it's a tricky path to tread um so in the final uh, moments of the of this podcast I mean, we've talked about some of the issues which are clearly on the agenda for 2021 i wonder if i could ask you very briefly all of you to name one industry issue that people are not talking about, but should be. So we'll just go uh, quickly round um, the whole group, and maybe I'll ask uh, Ian first if there's uh, an issue we're not talking about, but we should be this year. Well, this is where, in my accent, kind of comes through. Um, you probably know where I'm going to go, <laughs> and that's the future of the UK. Um, you know, are we making sense of that in? Uh, comms terms um, in in advance of the uh, last Scottish independence referendum in uh, 2014. You know, a lot of the brand response in advance of that and just after that was to try and wrap a Scottish saltire around the brand and and pay the difference. Um, but given where some of the polling numbers are, given actually some of the where the polling numbers are on. Um, Northern Ireland uh, and the United Ireland issue uh, right now, uh, this issue has shot up the agenda of international investors. Um, you know, whether or not the UK can uh, maintain itself, um, it's as complicated and as simple as that. 
in a sentence. And that we're going to be talking more and more about. That's a slow moving crisis. Uh, Faith, what are we not talking about that we should? Well, I, th- I think as an industry, we should be asking ourselves difficult questions about um, the kind of advice we give our clients. One of the most frequent questions that clients ask me is, what are other people doing? What do other people think? What are my competitors doing? What's been said about this already? And I think we, as an industry, we just have to be really careful during this time when society um, is is so fractured that we don't inadvertently um, become part of the problem ourselves by creating our own echo chamber. Thanks, Faith. Shiraz, what, what, what are we not talking about? Something I've been thinking about recently, um, and it kind of come across um, through our People Like Us network, is uh, disability in PR um, and journalism. Uh, it's something I, I don't really see much on, uh, especially knowing where to go for support of people to en- enter the industry or what support um, they can have once they join an organisation. I think um, a few folks I'm speaking to at the moment, they fear that they may not get hired because um, potential employers don't know the support that could be at hand. And they, they worry their employers think they could be a burden. But it's just something I've been thinking about very recently um, that I haven't seen much about at the moment. Thanks, Jurez. And Effie, what are we not talking about? Um, I, I've actually got two, and I think we are talking about it, but I think we need to talk more. And I think, um, as I referenced earlier, it will just be uh, the first one is around the impact um, on the mental health of people within the industry. Um, how last year has has played out on people and 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 I guess the long-term effects. Um, as I said before, a lot of people found themselves in uncharted territory um, and dealing with things that they had never seen before. And um, whether you're in-house or working um, at an agency ad- advising clients, there's a huge amount of pressure and essentially your decisions and your counsel um, can, can sort of make or break a business. So um, I think that there needs to be, I guess, more examination about the long-term impact of that. The second one um, is just something that's really close to my heart, which is around diversity and inclusion, which I think Shiraz um, mentioned. We did a lot last year, um, but where are we now? Um, how has it evolved? How are we measuring it? Um, and what's next for the industry? Just because I feel as though last year shone a light on all of the very real industries that exist within our industry, but we need to move it on. What are we not talking about, James? Do you know, I, I think it's less in some ways for me about what we're not talking about. I, I actually think it's about sustaining the conversations that perhaps have surfaced over the course of the last 12 months, but also sustaining conversations about a whole heap of things that you know, have have been talked about, but never perhaps have really been addressed. Uh, You know, there are things that still haven't been fixed, whether that is, you know, inclusivity, you know, opaqueness over maternity leaves, um, supporting the well-being of of, of teams from a mental health perspective. You know, I really worry that people in in our industry, agencies, businesses, you know, often treat these things as fads and and often I, I really worry that what we see is, you know, a few initiatives um, announced, often with catchy names, uh, often designed to, uh, you know, win Best Place to Work awards, which, you know, I'm sure you'll see a handful of um, in, in the coming weeks. 
But I don't think that those gimmicks sometimes have, you know, wide or deep enough impact on the businesses. And I, I think actually we need to continue the conversations we've initiated so that the impacts of those are felt in business cultures rather than just in management initiatives. Thank you, James. And thank you to all of our panellists, um, Ian Anderson, James Gordon McIntosh, F.E. Kenua, Faith Birch and Shiraz Gusha. Uh, thank you very much indeed, all of you, for taking part. Thanks for listening to the PR Show podcast with Arvin Hickman. Brought to you by PR Week. If you like what you heard, please leave us a nice review.